Welcome to Northern Goal, a football podcast from Evening Express and Preston Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by Jamie Durant, Andy Skinner, and Sean Wallace. How are we, guys? All good, All thank good, you. Thanks. Good, thank Ryan. you. Right. Yourself? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, an early apology to the listeners if they hear the work that is going on across the road from me. On uh, there's two men. They appear to be tearing apart the entranceway to a block of flats so if you hear any power tools on the go that's what the that's what the noise is but we've had a busy week of football we had huge Scottish Cup ties involving Cove Banks of D we had Aberdeen in action against Edinburgh City the weekend we then had midweek premiership fixtures to contend with as well we will start with Aberdeen who of course dispatched league to Edinburgh City at the weekend but they followed that up with a miserable performance in midweek in Paisley going down 1-0 to St Mirren the Dons fans weren't happy after this one. Um, Sean, it was a sort of performance, wasn't it, that could make a club do a lot of business in the last week of the transfer window? Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, it was atrocious from start to finish. Uh, I mean, there was only two, well, three players I would give pass marks to. It was David Bates, Ross McCrory and Joe Lewis, who was left badly exposed for the goal. But you do look at that, and see just how bad the performance was across the board and think this team needs strengthened. Uh, definitely need a new, uh, another striker because there's far too much uh, reliance on Christian Ramirez. And I mean, well, he was completely isolated against the against St. Mirren. There's only so much you can do when you're not getting the ball. I mean, he had to keep drifting back to try and get it. And then when he did get the ball, there was no out because he was so far back. I mean, there's only, what, four four days left in the transfer window. And Aberdeen, I mean, they desperately need to strengthen. So it is getting a bit concerning. I mean, the, the, they've been saying all through the window, we don't want to do any late transfer deals, but we're four days to go. And they've, they've taken two signings in. Uh, Dante Povara, who we know nothing about, and he's just came from the college level. So he's more about... It's a potential than being ready to hit the ground running. And obviously with the, with the Dutch lad, uh, I mean, he looks like he's got a good pedigree, but you can't, they desperately need a spark of creativity. And so there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, Vincente Bozijon, obviously we'll see, if that's how you pronounce it, sorry. We'll see um, <laughs> We'll see how he gets on when he comes in. And he's obviously waiting in the wings, waiting for a work permit. Danny Povara was in a similar situation, sort of can play attacking midfield and has arrived with a niggling injury. So, you know, we'll wait a bit to see him, um, which has been an issue this transfer window, I suppose, but it's kind of, it's Brexit related as well, isn't it? The players can't just come in and play straight away. Um, Marley Watkins, we know how effective he's been this season, kind of playing off the striker in that front three. And he's kind of the disruptor in games like the St. Mirren game against teams that are maybe stubborn and willing to sit in and um, frustrate the Dons for periods of the game. So we've got three there, but it still feels to me like if, if we're saying after the game only three players got pass marks, that means there was, what, sorry for my mass here, there were eight players on the pitch who disappointed in the night. I know we can't really blame Ramirez for being so exposed, but I know before the game, Stephen Glass was talking about Ryan Hedges, who's obviously out of contract in the summer and his head being gone. Um, but then the bench as well, players coming on, and it just feels like none of the ones that came on really made an impact. Matty Kennedy, J. Manuel Thomas, Conor McLennan. I know you can't, 
you can't undo all this stuff in the middle of the season. But it does feel there's a lot of players in the squad at the moment who a lot of fans would say aren't up to the job going forward long term. Um, what's your view on, on where the squad's at at the moment, I suppose? Well, it's not strong enough at the moment. I think the performance against St Mirren made that blatantly obvious. I mean, they're saying they're hoping that it's a blip, but it was far too much like that long uh, run without a win for my liking. So there is certain areas of the team that need strengthened and... I mean, J. Emmanuel Thomas came on with about 20 minutes to go and offered very, very little. I mean, he's he's been in now since the summer and he's only scored one goal, which isn't enough. Uh, and he's, behind, he's behind his 20 target, it's safe to say. Yes, I think we need a, a late spurt for him to get that 20 <laughs> goal mark. I mean, there's no, he's such a frustrating player because there's no doubting that he's got the talent. But we just don't see it. It's, it's, we just don't see it enough. Uh, Connor McLennan, I mean, it was his 100th Aberdeen uh, appearance on Tuesday. And there was so much expected of McLennan. When he's on it, he can be an exciting player, but he's just sort of faded far too much for my liking the last season or so. But he's not getting a regular run in the team. And you need that if you're going to build up this momentum. But with McLennan, with McLennan as a case in point then, but, but what I was saying, players that are maybe in the squad that a lot of people probably would say aren't good enough going forward or aren't going to, you know, be up to the standard going forward. McLennan, he's, made a, he's played 100 games for Aberdeen now. And I can think of the goal I think he scored when he played up front under Derek McInnes on his home debut, where he, I think he sort of slipped in, but it was a, a great goal he scored from outside the box and it sort of went over the keeper. And I can remember him scoring at Ibrox, the winner, um, when Stevie May played him like with a little flick down the channel. I can't remember him doing anything else in those 100, 100 games. You're talking like Conor McLennan has now played as many games as Hans Heelhouse did for Aberdeen. And when you compare those impacts, you know what I mean? That's the thing, you're spot on with that. Because when I when I heard Conor McLennan's made 100 appearances, I was like, surely not, because I was... You could count on one hand the amount of games where he's really stood out. But he, he, there's no doubt when he's got like a lot of talent. And it is there, it's just being able to show it. And he's not getting a regular run in the team either. So it's like catch-22. And while we're on players that people have been saying aren't good enough, I thought Dean Campbell was unfairly uh, singled out uh, by certain fans on Tuesday night. For his performance, I mean, fair enough, he had a very bad opening 10 minutes. A lot of stay passes gone. But players players could easily sort of hide when things aren't going wrong, go into their shell. But to Dean's credit, he never hid. He looked for the ball. He was he tried to be brave going forward. And he, he gave his all. And I mean, that takes a, a certain type of courage. And there was a lot a lot of players, a lot more senior, who were playing in their own positions, played worse than Dean Campbell on, on a Tuesday night. So I think he's been unfairly singled out. I mean, he, he'd only played 22 minutes in the last like month and a half to two months. And he came in in a, a position where he's playing out a position at left back. Took him a while to... to settle into the role but he did and he was by far not the worst player that night 
I think as more senior players should be looking at themselves. I think it's fair to say that there's maybe a lack of depth, particularly in those like the front three positions. Because like you say, you've really only got Christian Ramirez as an out-and-out striker there. Ryan Hedges is obviously, if he's if he's fit and available, he's starting every week. But then you're looking at Marley Watkins has picked up a few niggles. Austin Samuels and Niall McGinn have gone. Connor McLennan and J. Emmanuel Thomas, from what you've seen of them, they haven't really delivered anything to maybe merit a consistent run in the team. Johnny Hayes is now more used as a as a left back. And then you then see things like Funzo Ojo shoehorned into like a, a wide position, which with the best one in the world isn't his natural role. And I do feel sorry for him to an extent because he's been obviously shifted about a fair bit this season. He's obviously played full back as well as obviously playing in, in midfield. So whether whether kind of the the boys that have come in, uh, Paul Vara and Bezoan, whether they're going to kind of fix things or not, they maybe need some time to kind of get acclimated to, to Scottish football and the and the new surroundings. Um, maybe that's what has been addressed by by the club and Stephen Glass during the January window. But that that's obviously the kind of t- the position to me that at the minute that's that's crying out for uh, for a bit of change. Hedges, Sean. Obviously, before the game, you had a piece with Stephen Glass saying that he he felt that Hedges has been affected by speculation of his future, whether he'll leave in January, whether he'll sign a pre-contract and move on in the summer. Um, Do you think it's reaching the point, firstly, with Hedges, where the Dons are maybe worth cutting their losses in January, trying to get a little bit of money for him and letting him move on? It certainly looked like his head wasn't in the game on Tuesday. And Calvin Ramsey as well, since he's come back from injury, obviously he's a young boy, we can't expect him to be you know, coming back probably and being 100%, you know, like a, maybe a more experienced pro would be. But in the last kind of couple of games he's played, there's been moments and it was the goal on Tuesday. And I think it was maybe the goal against Rangers as well, but he hasn't really got out to, he hasn't really got out to close down um, his man with enough, um, with enough urgency. For me, it's kind of been jogging, moseying out there. And obviously we've seen what happened on Tuesday with Conor Ronan, he finds the far corner given that time and space? I think with regards to Hedges, I think his def- the transfer speculation has definitely affected his performances. He, he hasn't had the same spark of creativity. He drifts out of games a bit too much. I mean, I'm not for a second suggesting that he's down tools because he hasn't. The effort is still there. But I just don't think his mind's 100% in the game at the moment. I mean, Stephen Glass said... Uh, earlier this week that he, he feels that Hedges has been affected and that maybe once the January, tra- January transfer window closes, if Hedges is still here, then we could maybe see the, and he, he said, the proper Hedges again. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Cashin and him now, I mean, it leaves, there's only four days left. It leaves very little time to get a, a proper replacement in. Uh, as, as for Calvin Ramsey, I mean, I think Tuesday night was probably his worst game for Aberdeen. He just didn't seem his normal self. And he was culpable for the, the goal because he didn't come out enough. He just seemed to jog, didn't didn't close down the angle and it give give him enough time to cut all that shot in. But I mean it I mean he's only eighteen years old. He's been linked with like a potential move to the Italian top flight with Bologna. It's it's only natural, no matter how 
mature and focused he is, it's only natural that somehow that's going to creep into his head. I mean, he could he, potentially, if things weren't, weren't going away, he could be playing like going up against teams like Juventus, Inter Milan, AC Milan. There's no way that isn't going to somehow get into a teenager's head. Yeah. Um, all right, we could debate the squad all day. We'll just have to wait and see who is offloaded. I'm sure some of them will be in the next few days and we'll, more incomers will appear. Who knows, maybe Regan Charles Cook had to get in there. Uh, but yeah, the away record at the moment is it's 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 pretty miserable. It's pretty grim. That's seven losses on the road in the league in 11 for the Dons this season. Seven, those seven coming in their last nine away games in the league. I'd done a piece yesterday. Um, sort of looking at their attack and defending stats, comparing their home games and their away games, and the differences actually surprised me. Pretty stark. They, they faced something like double the amount of shots away from home as they have at home, which would suggest that they're not defending very well when teams are maybe a bit more willing to attack them away from home. And they tend to, even with those amount of chances they're giving away around their penalty area, they're still conceding goals um, already that they, they maybe necessarily shouldn't be, according to people like Opta. In terms of attack as well, there's a clear difference in terms of how many chances they create um, around the opposition's penalty area, so no wonder they're not, you know, scoring as many goals. Uh, the big issue we've discussed already this season, of course, is the fact that the Dons tend to concede the first goal in a lot of the games they play. It's seventeen times they've done that this season. If you're not attacking as well away from home, there's less chance. If you concede the first goal, you're going to turn it round and get a result. Sean, the only other thing I wanted to ask you about was. Obviously, you wrote a column yesterday calling for Funzo Ojo and Johnny Hayes to both get new deals. Quite a lot of quite a lot of heat for that on social media. Would you like to take the stand and defend yourself? Yeah, I did get quite a bit of heat, I think. Was. <laughs> I think I was called a moron by someone. <laughs> it's fair play. No, I, I just think it's for their versatility. I think both of them would be good signings. I mean, I'm not saying they're... The, the sort of crux of my argument was Johnny Hayes in the last couple of months has really hit form. I thought he was very good against Rangers. I mean, it was his crossfield pass that uh, let in Ryan Hedges for what should have been a penalty if the referee had done his job right. Uh, he's dangerous on the flank. He's very, very fast. You can you could go back at left back. It's, there's no signs that his pace has deteriorated in any way, and you can never ever criticise Hayes for the level of work that he puts in. See, your dog agrees, <laughs> and <laughs> at least someone does. <laughs> Give him like a doggy biscuit. For, for me. But uh, and as, as far as Ojo, again, very versatile. He could play, he's, I mean, defensive midfielder. He could play attacking midfield. He could play wide. He's in that sort of front three in support of Ramirez. I just think for the amount of options you're getting with Ojo, I think he's worth another deal. And that, that's if he would be willing to stay because it was only... Like last summer, they said that he was so disillusioned by football, he considered quitting and going back to Belgium. 
So, I mean, there's two sides of that potential uh, conversation that need to be had. All right, we've mentioned them already, but uh, the Dons obviously made a pretty exciting signing on Monday from the Dutch second tier. I, I, I suppose we haven't seen him play, but these are the sort of the sort of additions that do make you stand up and take notice, and do you get you a bit sort of g'd up, aren't they? Because it's not just some guy we've already seen play in Scotland for another team. Um, as exciting as Regan Charles Cook is, uh, but <laughs> Vicente, he he's one of those where like. You never know what's going to happen. He could come in and be amazing. He could come in and be a disappointment. But like, it's part of the reason you love the transfer window, isn't it? Signings like this. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really excited to see what he can bring to Aberdeen. He's, he's only twenty years old, but he comes with a good pedigree. Thirty games in the Dutch top flight last season. Although Den Haag got relegated, he's played twenty five times this season. Scored six, ten assists. So that suggests he has got something that he can give to Aberdeen. And I mean, full credit to Aberdeen for stretching out their net because for so long, primarily being players just from like the England lower leagues or Scotland, at least they're sort of advancing and stretching out their vision. And I'm quite excited by him. Hopefully he could, he's available for St. Johnston, but they're still waiting on that visa to come through. Yeah, um, St Johnston. Now you mention it. What was St Johnston's score last night? <laughs> nil nil. Nil nil. Yeah, nil nil. Yeah. So St Johnston, I think. Well, I, I, it's a draw. It's a point for St Johnston. But I think before that nil nil draw, that inspiring nil nil draw against fellow strugglers Dundee, they were on a ten game losing run. So <laughs> they're one of those teams coming to Pataudry with. Um, you know, the chance to upset the apple cart a little bit. And the way things have gone earlier this season, certainly when Aberdeen were handing a lot of teams their first victory and ending <laughs> allowing teams to end their losing run against them, they couldn't, could they, St. Johnston? Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's the bottom line. If Aberdeen play like they did on Tuesday night, then yes, St. Johnston could end their long wait for a, a win. But ho- yeah, hopefully well. that won't be the case. <laughs> I'm sure Aberdeen can't play as bad as they did against St Mirren. And they have they have got a decent home record as well. Yeah, and hopefully a point to prove as well. Okay, let's move on then, because that's been close to 20 minutes. Ross County up next. Andy watched them last night against Dundee United. Northern Goal is brought to you in association with Aberdeen Sports Village. With memberships to suit all ages, Aberdeen Sports Village is for everyone in the community. I'm there all the time to interview athletes, play football on the indoor pitches, swim or use the gym. But you can also dive, choose from over 100 exercise classes, play racket sports, chill in the sauna and steam room, run on the athletics track and more. Achieve your goals at Aberdeen Sports Village. Search for Aberdeen Sports Village online for more information. Right, Andy, before we started recording, you were complaining about the facilities at Tanadice and uh, it being an outmoded stadium. But Ross County, let's focus on them instead of the, the infrastructure. Um, one goal up in this game and obviously had the chance to win it, ended up taking nothing from it. What was your view and how it all panned out? A massively frustrating uh, evening for, for Ross County, this one, because they got themselves into such a good position after weathering 
a first half in which they didn't really perform. They were quite fortunate, I would say, to to go in nil nil at half time. United looked by far the the better side, um, albeit there weren't too many clear cut chances. But United certainly had the better of of those that did come around. Um, and there was a bit of a tactical change at half time. Uh, Jack Baldwin was was brought on, interestingly, to to play a holding midfield role. Um, I think Malky Mackay was looking for some kind of combative presence in there, and the, the absence of Jordan Tilson and um, David Cancola, and uh, you know, with the the three midfielders that County had started with, they they didn't really have that. So Baldwin came on and, and made a good impact there. Had a, a part to play in Regan Charles Cook's opening goal, which uh, just continues that that fantastic vein of form that uh, that Charles Cook is is currently on. Nine goals for the for the season now. Uh, is there any end to his talents? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the one <laughs> that run of form that's got all the Union Grove based football journalists talking. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, so at, at that stage, County, you know, we're on the basis of the early second half minutes looked well worth their their lead and, and looked in a good position to go and kick on. The game changed on a, a penalty call, which uh, I have to say looked pretty harsh. Um, it was a handball given against Declan Drysdale for a, a shot that he blocked from Mickey Clark. And from having seen it again, I don't think his hand was in an unnatural position. Um, you know, it was one that came to him pretty quickly and so I felt a bit of sympathy for County on on that one the you know the, the incident that was flagged up by Malky Mackay after the game was one that happened in the first half involving Dylan, Dylan Levitt of United who had touched the ball with his hand I think he kicked the ball off off his arm which was outstretched during the, the first half and to be honest I don't think that one was a, a penalty either um you know, I think the the rules are now that if you you know if you do kick the ball and it hits your hand, then you know it probably isn't a, a penalty. And even though it was an unnatural position, I, I wasn't surprised when that one wasn't given. However, I can I can see um, you know his point where he he says that on that basis, Drysdale's one shouldn't have been given either. Um, so, you know, when, with that in mind, I do have sympathy for County. What I don't have sympathy for County is how the, the winning goal unfolded because uh, Drysdale again was involved and he just allowed Nicky Clark to outjump him. Uh, a diminutive, diminutive Nicky Clark at that. Um, you know, a ball came in from the, the right-hand side from Tony Watt who had an excellent game for United. Um, and... You know, Drysdale was just static, really, and allowing Clark to to get the run on him and and get the the header planted into the the far corner. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, uh, just a you know a point which probably would have been fair was was thrown away. You've put the kiss of death on uh, Declan Drysdale, haven't you, Andy? After that first game where he was almost your man in the match uh, on debut, and now the last two games. He's uh, been at fault. Yeah, uh, conceded two penalties. I, I, as I say, the the one last night was harsh in my book, but he's, he certainly was the man culpable for the winner. Yeah, and from my early observations, he, he, you know, I've seen three games now. That was only on the basis of one that I was uh, 
extolling his virtues last week, but he, he looks very comfortable on the ball. He, he actually takes quite a few risks on the ball uh, at times and tends to get away with it. He, he, you know, he is very sure-footed and in possession, and for a side that likes to to break quickly, that's a good kind of asset for County to have. But uh, in the defensive side, I think there certainly is work that that needs to be done. I did ask Malky Mackay about it, you know, his impact. And although he's been pleased that he's come in and, you know, slotted into the defence, playing alongside already two different centre-half partners, he, he did acknowledge that, um, you know, the, there is still work in progress there. So as a former centre-half himself, I'm sure Malky will uh, be uh, keen to, to get on the time. training ground. Yeah. Um, but... yeah. Still, though, set your watches for the end of the season when we carry out a Scooby-Doo-style unveiling on Declan Drysdale, and when the mask is removed, it's called Donaldson and has been called Donaldson all along. (laughs) Uh, Rangers this weekend, Andy, obviously a challenging one for County. What what are we expecting from this game? Well, it's, it's two very difficult home fixtures that are coming up for County now. They've got Rangers on Saturday, which, you know, it's a difficult one to try and... Uh, you know, get back on track in when you've come off two back-to-back defeats. Um, they've played well against Rangers in the two games. They've they've scored twice in each of them, which not many teams have done. But uh, aye, they'll they'll look for a reaction of sorts. Rangers were pretty late in breaking down Livingston last night, so um, you, you know the, I don't like to use the term free hit, but it's certainly one where the pressure will be off. Aberdeen coming on Tuesday might be, you know, one that they'll target to to try and uh, inflict a bit more misery on on the Dons. Uh, certainly, if if Aberdeen show up as they did in Paisley on on Tuesday, then um, it could be a another difficult night because I think County do have the the potential to to hurt that Dons defence um, if uh, you know if they're on song themselves. But uh, no, it's it's a big period coming up for for County now. I look at the two games that follow that double header, and you know they've they've got Dundee and Livingston, which all of a sudden become pretty crucial to to County's hopes of trying to move up the table and maybe get away from the bottom again. They've only been drawn in by another point on the basis of that that goalless draw um, between St Johnston and Dundee last night, but you know that's kind of ended. Uh, losing streaks that both of those sides had um, had racked up in recent weeks. Um, and that's probably where County will just need to, to keep their heads in these coming weeks because we've seen a number of teams lose one game and then go on to have a, a horrendous run off the back of that. And uh, although County have been in good form, these last couple of setbacks, um, well, you know, they'll need to make sure that, that they don't amount to anything that's a bit more serious. Um, because you know they they have put themselves into a, a decent position, they're still uh, you know hanging on the coattails of a number of teams that are that are above them. But uh, yeah, they they just need to to try and make sure that uh, they get back on track pretty quickly. What about Inverness then, Andy across the Highlands? Obviously. Before this game, we we knew that uh, Dunfermline was going to be a, a banana skin from Verness. Dunfermline are fighting for their lives down the bottom of the table. They've managed to start getting results under John Hughes. 
ended up being another draw for Cali Thistle, though. They've become the wick of the championship, as I've described them in the notes <laughs> for this. Um, but Billy Dodd seems pretty relaxed about um, drawing so many games at the moment. I think, I mean, he's trying to keep the players upbeat and believing um, that they are still having a good season, which I think on the balance of things with the league position that they're occupying, they're still second. Um, you know, you have to say that it has been a a good season up to this point, but the the run of form that they're on hasn't been great. They, they've only won three of their their last sixteen. They've they've only lost three of their their last sixteen as well. So yeah, you can you can spin it either way, but um, they certainly they, they won't hang around in second place much longer if if you know they don't find this knack of of winning games because uh you know there are teams in and around there that that are close to them um that coming up on saturday they've got Kilmarnock, which you know becomes a, a pretty crucial game and without <laughs> you know looking to uh entertain more draws i think they probably would take a point from this one um just given up given that it would set them up for for three home games that they've got on the spin coming up after that um, it, you know, it would keep them above Kilmarnock as well. So, yeah, I mean, there there wasn't much complaint from from Billy Dodds about the outcome on on Saturday against Dunfermline. He, he, he seemed to think that you know the pars were were deserving of that. So, I think they they, they just need a, a win by by any means. Whether it will come this Saturday, I I don't know. They've certainly beaten Kilmarnock twice this season, which will give them confidence. But um, I think it's just trying to get get over the line with with that victory to to sort of change the narrative a wee bit. Is this is this game against Kilmarnock this weekend almost like the start of the season again in the sense that Kilmarnock have obviously had a, put, got a lot of new signings in under Derek McInnes. So despite Inverness's results early in the season against Kilmarnock, this is kind of like a new Kilmarnock team they're playing and this, this game could set the tone for how Inverness and Kilmarnock league positions sort of interact with each other for the rest of the rest of the campaign? I would say so because with Derek McInnes coming into Kilmarnock um, it, it is a fresh start and you know all things considered the position that he inherited wasn't a disastrous one you, you know it's not as if they were having to, to chase back a, a huge amount of points um, in pursuit of the, the title uh, so you know coming in I think he, he would probably have looked at you know, maybe getting a few players in and just having a, a completely fresh push for that top spot in, in these final few weeks of the season. For Inverness, it's it's maybe just more a case of trying to reignite the season. Um, there have been a lot of, you know, encouraging aspects of, of their play and some of their attacking threat is still there in flashes. Um, Billy McKay's obviously scored... You know the bulk of them recently, but it was good to see Shane Sutherland back off the the mark on on Saturday. He um, he's up to six for the campaign now, and um, just in terms of trying to ease that burden on Mackay, his contribution is going to be really important. They've also freshened things up with uh, loan additions of Sam Pearson and Logan Chalmers, and uh, they both look like really exciting additions who you know can help Inverness. Um, you know, just regain that firepower. 
so if they can get the, the best out of them in the coming weeks, then uh, you know it, it does go down as a, a potential for a, a fresh start from Inverness as well. Um, but I, I, as I say, I think if they can avoid defeat at Kilmarnock, that'll keep them above Killy. So um, that's got to be the, the target going into this, this weekend, I would say. And then they'll look to try and rack up the, the points in those three home matches that they've got coming up afterwards. Right, we shall see how they get on. But yes, let's move on to our lower league teams, Cove, Peterhead and Elgin City. Right, Jamie, we will start with Cove then. The Nation finally found out what we knew about Cove already, that they were a team capable of competing with the very best um, in Scotland at the moment. They're ambitious, they've spent a lot of money getting players with pedigree into the side. They've also got very talented players that have come up with them all the way from the Highland League. They've turned, obviously played their Scottish Cup game all the way back last Thursday, a week ago. They returned to action against the Barton this weekend. Um, will they will they return to action full of confidence? Surely, I would think so. You you can't not really take a, kind of confidence from that from that performance. Obviously, on the on the night itself and the kind of the aftermath, it was probably difficult to, to take too many positives because of the the manner in which the game was lost. They'd put a hell of a lot into the game over the course of 120 minutes, and to lose it um, to one goal um, that's maybe just come from somebody switching off. Um, against a premier premiership side on their own patch um, to play as well as they did. Um, yeah, when you look back at it, it's one that they can take a, a huge amount from. Um, and yeah, it, the exposure that it gives them, it's, it's maybe not one that the, that the players will think about too much, but it's maybe one for more the guys behind the scenes and kind of higher up at the club that... Um, that maybe don't get recognised for the for the work that they've put in and the help that they've given to Cove over over the years. Um, that national TV audience that you got for last Thursday night and pretty universal plaudits for for their performance. Um, I think that's it will kind of raise the uh, raise the kind of the attention on Cove um, in the coming kind of weeks and months. Obviously, with the position that they're in in the league just now, people would probably expect them to go on to. To win the win League One and and get promotion to the championship, they'll they'll kind of I think they'll kind of relish that that kind of pressure. Um, they've got a big month coming up um, in February with with playing Adrianians and Queens Park, so it's it's by no means done and dusted yet. But if you want if you wanted to be in anybody's position, you'd want to be in in Coves just now. What's the prognosis on Shea Logan and Ian Vigers? Obviously, they missed the cup game against Hibs. Um, I think Logan's maybe likely to be um, a few a few weeks. With I think it's a hamstring problem that he picked up against Montrose. It looked pretty awkward at the time um, with the way he kind of went down. So I wouldn't expect him to be back for this weekend. Uh, I think Ian Vigers is is maybe more likely to be to be, to be back in the frame. I think see, he took a kick in on the foot against Montrose um, and. He'd been in a good run of form as well in the middle of the park. He'd kind of come to the fore in some of the bigger games and he'd looked like he was kind of relishing in in that uh, kind of central midfield position. So hopefully for him it's not it's not too long before he's back and he can he can feature in some of these key games to come. Okay then. Peter Head, you were at their game at the weekend as well in the cuff against uh, Lowland League 
East Kilbride. It was a game, I, I don't know, having watched the highlights only, it was a game in which I thought Peterhead were reasonably reasonably resilient. There was there was pressure on them as the, the league team. They obviously went a goal behind. They would go on to concede again in what was a 2-2 draw and then win the penalty shootout. Um, but slightly defensively suspect at times. A little bit, yeah. Because um, I don't think um, East Kilbride had too much... Too much to offer in terms of going forward. And I think a couple of players said that themselves, that they'd kind of restricted them to kind of minimal chances, but the ones that they did get, they took. Um, and in a cup tie like that against, um, if you have if you used Colbide facing kind of higher opposition, that's the kind of the, the clinical touch that you need. Um, but credit to it, you've got to give them credit where, where it's due. They responded and said they turned the game on its heads um, just before half time with a couple of, with a couple of goals that they got, um, and I think over the piece they were, they were the better team. Um, I don't think there's any any complaints about that. Um, and there is always a little bit of nerves, I suppose, when it comes to these games going to penalties. And I suppose East Kilbride probably would have wanted that as the outcome to give themselves the best chance of going through. Um, so when the game went to extra time, um, it did seem to be kind of be one way traffic in extra time, um, and Peter Heads kind of putting balls in the box are plenty and not managing to get uh, get enough shots on target. But they got through in the end and they, the tie against Dundee in the next round, um, it's it's a great one for the club to get. It's a home tie. It's a last 16 tie. There's potential for it to be on, on TV, in my opinion, um, given that it's a, it's a premiership side going to a, a League One side and a premiership side that's not having the best of times just now. Um, you've got kind of a few players that have been on loan at Peterhead from Dundee this season. You've got that kind of connection there as well. And it's the first time they've got into the last 16 and under Jim McAnally, which when you consider how long he's been there, it's a, it's a great achievement for them. Um, I've got to flag up, as I've done before, and as I'm sure I'll probably do again before the end of the season, I've got to flag up um, Ryan Duncan's performance. Uh, he was He was picked out by by Jim after the game. Um, but he was he was Peterhead's best attacking threat. Um you could the probably the biggest um show of confidence in him was that his teammates continually fed him the ball on Saturday. And for someone who's just turned eighteen, I think that's a big statement of confidence in him that they they believe in him to go and, and be a threat and cause problems for opposing defenders because it was literally you just the ball would come out to him and he was basically just encouraged to go and get at the fullback for East Kilbride. And he kind of felt sorry for him um, when it got to a certain point, just because Ryan Duncan's obviously a full-time player. He's training with Aberdeen as well as Peterhead and then playing on a Saturday. And he was, he was just running and running and running. Um, And he's got a great final ball as well. I mean, his left foot, his left foot is fantastic, but he can also use his right as well. And he's only going to develop more, with this role he's got at, at Peterhead. Um, and I think Jim said after the game that Aberdeen have got a real talent on their hands. And they say if he's, if his developments managed correctly, I think he could be, I think he could be a, a future Aberdeen first team player. Ah, the Dons might not need uh, Regan Charles Cook after all then, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was away to say that when I was talking to Neil Simpson, um, a week or so ago, he was talking about Ryan Duncan and Evan Towler, who's on loan at Elgin, he's a defender, and how they're both still um, 
eligible play under 18s they're the two loanees that are still that aren't actually technically under 18s graduates yet so they're still only 17 or old enough to play for the under 18s young enough to play for the under 18s um but they feel the dons that those two are both too good for under 18s football that when they, they stand at a mile in those games and from what i've seen in the last uh, few days about evan towler as well at elegant nandy in a minute you could maybe um uh, inform us a little bit more about this but it sounds like both of them are shining uh, for their respective loan clubs at the moment Jamie the only other thing I wanted to ask you about Peter Head was um, well first of all you you maybe underplayed Peter Head's second goal a little bit because it was an absolute beauty of a finish just that sort of volley in the far corner um, but they've added Rico Katongo and Owen Cairns this week, obviously, Airdrie Onans, where Rico Katongo came from, but he obviously had a bit of trouble um, with his own fans. Um, Owen Cairns has come from Fraserburgh. The he's only on loan, I think, but maybe that with a view to a permanent deal coming into the, the season. They've come in to help Rico at left back, Owen at uh, right back. Couldn't get two more different uh, signings in terms of background, could you? I mean, I know Owen Cairns was at Inverness as a youngster, but Rico Katongo is obviously a League One veteran, knows what this level is all about, Owen Cairns is coming from the, the Highland League. I don't, I don't think uh, Ross County's Academy would thank you for saying that Owen Cairns came through it in Vanessa. Oh, apologies, <laughs> apologies. Um, but, but no, it's it's two positions that obviously Jim McAnally wanted to address. Um, he was obviously made aware of Rico Katongo's situation. He provides a little bit of competition down that side and a little bit of cover as well because they've had um, Ryan Conroy's been out for a while with a like a potential hernia problem. He's starting to work his way back. Um, but it's they've really only had kind of Flynn Duffy out and out as a fullback in that position. So kind of getting Rico there and you can play a little bit further forward as well um, down the left-hand side, which gives him a bit of balance. And say he's only 22 as well. So having played a little bit in the lower leagues, he's got a chance to, he's got a little bit of, sorry, pedigree already and he's got scope to improve. With Owen Cairns, I think it's, I think it's a very smart signing as far as as far as Peter Head go because he's someone that Jim has watched before in when they've played Fraserburgh in friendlies and when Fraserburgh have reached cup finals. Jim has has watched Owen Cairns and his contract situation at Fraserburgh has made it possible because he turned down an extension earlier in the season because he wanted to test himself at a higher level, but. Because of his his work rate and his attitude, he's remained involved at Fraserburgh. Um, but they were obviously kind of looking to the future and maybe not wanting to rely on him so much if he wasn't going to be there. Peter Head were obviously made made aware of that. And Jim, I spoke to Jim this morning, and he said he's got a good relationship with Mark Cowie and James Duthie at Fraserburgh, which has allowed this to kind of to happen. Um, and he's come in on loan for the rest of the season. Um, and it's a chance for him to test himself at the SPFL level. Um, and if he's if he impresses enough, there's always the option or potential of a of a permanent move at the end of it. Um, he would fill he would fill the similar role, I would think, to what Josh Mulligan did there, playing as a right wing back in in the kind of the three five two system. Um, from what I've seen of of Owen Cairns, he would he would fulfill that quite well. He's bags of energy, wants to get forward, he's dogged, um, he will, that side of things is, uh, it shouldn't be a problem and Jim said if it if it doesn't work out, it certainly shouldn't be through lack of effort because because Owen Cairns will give you, he'll give you everything 
and that's that's kind of what Peter Head have got in abundance just now. They've got a lot of guys with a lot of energy in that team, and they will they will work you um, for ninety minutes. And they, I don't think they'll they're done either. I think there's there's one more deal likely to be done before Monday's deadline, and that would be that would be them. I think for for their uh, for their recruitment. Yeah, Owen Cairns, good player. Uh, Elgin then, Andy, um, the team that finally stopped Kelty Hearts in League 2, 2-0. They beat Kelty in a game that was rearranged after previously being rained off. Um, what a result for Elgin, two goals for their talisman, Keane Hester. They've got Steny this weekend. Is this the, the watershed moment? I know we've asked that often enough about Elgin this season. Well, I mean, it, in a sense, the result doesn't actually surprise me too much because Elgin are really capable of producing these results. Um, they've they've shown it in previous seasons when there has been a, a runaway uh, kind of pace setter in League Two. They've they've got results against the likes of Cove and Queens Park that have led the way, um, and you know they seem to rise to that challenge. Um, I suppose the the challenge now for them is to to show that consistency um, because, you know, they've got Steny coming up this weekend, as you say, that's a fellow challenger in that uh, that pursuit of a, a playoff spot. And so they, they really need results in these games where they're going to take points off uh, the sides that are in and around them in the table. But I suppose when I talk about consistency, that's now six without defeat. So, you know, Elgin are building something um, quite exciting there now. And, uh, you know, it, it does look as if things are are finally coming together in in the way that Gavin Price always believed that they they would. Yeah, um, Evan Towler, uh, he's obviously impressed, as we mentioned. Uh, one of the things I was going to say about Elgin is that you know just a couple of results and Elgin could cement their place in the playoffs this season, couldn't it? It's very tight in League Two. Yeah, I mean they're they're sitting in eighth place, remarkably still, you know, after that victory, but only two separating them from the uh, the playoff spots. Uh, that means there's there's five teams that are realistically aiming at one place, really, because I think the top three are are a bit far away now. But that's going to be very exciting coming into the the closing stretch to see uh, how that unfolds. And Elgin have traditionally finished seasons pretty well, so I think they're they're in a good position. Um, as for Evan Towler, I mean, it's been really noticeable that Gavin Price has put his faith in him from an early stage. Um, he's he's started uh, at left back in in recent matches. I saw him come on as a half time substitute for his debut against Forfar, and um, you know he came on as I say at half time in that game and really looked to impose himself for, further up the park as a, a fullback. I think. You know, without putting too much pressure on him, uh, you, you know, when you look at Calvin Ramsey's kind of style of play, it's clear that Aberdeen have a, a way of schooling their their fullbacks and what what they're looking to to get from them, um, the way that they want them to play, um, get on the ball and uh, you know really engage with that, that that final third. So I think that's something that you know we'll see more of as as the season goes on, and I like to that. Evan Tyler will, will get a you know a feel for some of the more physical demands that uh, you know senior football places on uh, defenders. So uh, it's it's a loan spell that at this stage looks to be working really well. And as I say, uh, Ewan Spark, who normally occupies left back, has been 
shifted out to, to right back in, in the absence of Matthew Cooper and that's allowed Evan a, a, a good spell of games. So there's uh, there's certainly a good uh, pathway for him uh, in, in that uh, Elgin side coming into the you know the final weeks of the season. Okay, well that's just about it for this week's episode of Northern Goal. Uh, all that remains to be said is Inverness have signed a striker on loan during the recording of this episode, Joe Hardy from Accra and Stanley until the end of the season. A player who Liverpool signed in January 2020 and he played for the, the Reds under-23s team and actually made his professional debut for Liverpool. So he's played for the Liverpool first team in the FA Cup against Shrewsbury Town. So a striker arriving with pedigree, so we'll see how he gets on with Cali Thistle at the end of the season. Maybe he'll feature against uh, Kilmarnock this weekend. Anyway, thank you to Andy, Sean and Jamie for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode of Northern Goal, you can like and subscribe Northern Goal on your favourite podcast app. You can email us at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk with any questions or queries. And finally, enjoy the football if, like me, you're going to Aberdeen St. Johnson this weekend um, or whatever other game you're going to. Uh, See you later. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.